Hope you got in some good, good conversations. Who uh, felt like they were able to take advantage of the, are we calling it the snow of the winter or a, a snow of the winter? Oh, okay. We're good. We got, we got, we got, we got three more months of winter. We're okay. Well, I hope you got in some good conversation. We're going to continue in our time together. We're in uh, a conversation now leading up to Easter, where we're journeying through 1 Corinthians, which is a little bit different of a journey for us. We've been in mostly Jesus stories for about two years, and um, it's been really interesting to dive into a different genre, a different part of the New Testament, and try to set up conversation and try to offer things that keep us in our commitment to love our neighbors in the way of Jesus going and um, learn from each other. And so before we dive in today, I just want to want to pray for our time and welcome the Holy Spirit uh, around our tables. Jesus, thank you for this community. Both the ones sitting in this room, the ones uh, that call North City home and this neighborhood that we're in. Holy Spirit, we ask for you to be present with us in this time that we've cultivated and created to be with each other and to be with you. And God, we just confess our need for your leadership and guidance uh, as we walk through this life. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you all would say you have like a spidey sense? Like you got like uh, moments where like things sort of tingle in the back of your neck. My boys are really into that right now. I, I don't know that I have a spidey sense, but uh, something happened to me about two or three months ago that made me sort of question my spidey sense a little bit. So I was at the park with my kids. We have a park right across uh, the way from my house. And uh, I was playing with the kids, and we were having a great time. I think um, I was probably it and doing horrible at tagging them, as I usually do, to let the game play out a little bit more. And I noticed out of the corner of my eye that something just caught my attention and was like a little odd. I saw a Hispanic man pulling a trash bin out of the woods. Not just like a small trash bin, but like a, um, the big like Minneapolis trash bins out of the woods. And my spidey sense like tingled a little bit. And I was like, what is going on there? And uh, I wish it was different but my mind started to spiral a little bit and I started to kind of grow in suspicion and I started to wonder, what is he doing back there? Uh, is this dude okay? Is this dude safe to be around? Do I need to leave the park with my kids right now? And I kind of spiraled down this sort of way where I was kind of assuming some things about this character that I was witnessing that made me lead to some certain actions. And I went home and I was still a little frightened. I was even like looking out the window. And then Krishnan came home shortly after that and we had a conversation about it. I was like, dude, I saw this and this dude was like wheeling this. I don't know what he was up to. I was just a little suspicious about it. I don't know if he was like disposing something, all of like the TV shows I had watched, like CSI and all these like things were like coming into my mind. And there was a part of me that knew, like, some of that wasn't right. And then Christian Ann said in the conversation, she's like, oh, I've walked there several times. 
that dumpster or that trash bin has been in that pond that's close by that walk path. That man was probably just pulling that out. And I instantly had all these mix of emotions. I felt horrible. I felt like I had let all of the messages that I had picked up along the way influence how I was perceiving and uh, filling in assumptions that I had about the circumstance that was going on. I felt like I had judged that guy inappropriately. And I really wanted to go back and say sorry. And even beyond that, I started to judge myself. I started to say, oh, man, J.D., you're a racist. Like, oh, man, J.D., you, you don't even know. Like, what do you, what do you even, how, do you even belong in this neighborhood if you're going to look at people that way? Now, I share that. I'm not proud of that story, obviously, at all. And I have tried really hard to be curious about what was going on there and what was happening. But that story, in some sense, holds for me a tension that every human being experiences and every Christian experiences, too. And the tension is, how do we make good decisions? How do we make good judgments and not be judgmental? How do we make good judgments in our life and not be judgmental? Do we discredit the spidey sense? Do, how do we navigate the situations that life presents us with, with all that we carry into them? That's a question that I think Paul speaks to, Jesus speaks to, 1 Corinthians tries to speak to as well. And I want to take a look at some of the circumstances that they're wading through to maybe give us some of the answers or help us wade into this tension. Before I do, I just want to acknowledge kind of an elephant in the Christian room, if you will. Barna, which is a group that studies Christianity, did a study. They asked people from all different walks of life in America. They said, hey, we're going to give you 10 traits, actually 20 total, 10 positive and 10 negative traits. And we want you to ascribe each of these traits to Christians. And there was 10 positive and 10 negative. Let me just cut to the chase. We didn't, we didn't do so hot. Nine out of the 12 that mo- majority of people picked were negative perceptions of Christians. The number one perception that was picked about Christians was being judgmental at 90% of respondents put it in the top 10 that they chose. So, man, this is so much tension, isn't it? Do you feel a lot of tension in your chest? Do you feel, do you feel this in that both when sometimes in conversation you just divulge that you're a Christian, you wonder if this is, they're ascribing that 10% in your context. Maybe you felt the sting of mistakes like I just described making before, either being racially profiled or just judged in your relationship with other people, and you know the feeling of that. Just to be clear on what I mean by judgmental, the Oxford Dictionary defines it this way. It says, having or displaying, is it working? Oh, having or displaying an excessively critical point of view. Judgmental often describes someone who often rushes to judgment or someone who forms lots of opinions, usually harsh or critical ones, about lots of people. Words associated with judgmental are critical, fault-finding, or condemnatory. So, the tension is, we need to make judgments in our life. 
We need to make decisions in our life. We need to navigate whether parks are safe for our kids or not in situations. You made judgments like a thousand of them to get to church today. What church are you going to? What car are you going to drive? Is the car safe? We need to make judgments in our lives. The question is, how do we do that? How do we do that in a way that isn't judgmental? But how do we steward the ability to make judgments that doesn't cause harm to others or create barriers between people or perpetuate systems that are sinful, like racism? How do we be people of good judgment? To steal a Francis Schaeffer question, uh, how do we then live? So here we turn to 1 Corinthians. We turn to uh, the town where Vegas and Chicago had a baby. And uh, Paul, who planted some churches, is writing a somewhat, uh, should we say, uh, fiery uh, and intense and forward letter back to them because they're going through some real struggles. And as we discovered last week, one of the main things that he addresses right away is that they've called his authority and apostleship into question. And they have formed camps around whose teaching they follow, and then they've essentially judged other people based on whose teaching they follow. And Paul, in chapter 4, in the beginning of chapter 4, addresses this concern head-on in conversation with them. And here's what he says, and I, I want us to start to imagine or bring this question that we've been asking or this tension to this text. He says in verse 1, this then is how you ought to regard us. He's talking about this issue of how you should see him and Apollos, the other person that was mentioned, as servants of Christ, as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been entrusted must prove faithful. The people who have been entrusted with the mysteries must be faithful to those mysteries. So he goes on to say, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but it does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Then he goes on and says, Therefore, judge nothing before its appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring light uh, he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Anybody just like a little bit more confused about what judgment means and what we're supposed to do? I've felt this, and I have felt it as I've looked through 1 Corinthians. Because right after this, actually, Paul makes a judgment about a believer in the church who is um, sleeping with his mother-in-law and is proud about that. And he makes a determination about that. So what, so what in the heck does Paul mean about not judging? And of course, you probably, if you've studied Jesus and followed Jesus, have, Jesus have heard his words about do not judge. What are, what are we to do here? How are we sp supposed to respond? How are we supposed to proceed? So let's, let's dial in a little bit. One of the insights that I want to bring for your consideration this morning or something to chew on is there's four different words for judgment in 1 Corinthians. The word that is translates judge or judgment happens 27 times 
And there's four different words for it. The first is anacrino, which means to investigate. The second is didacrino, which is to uh, distinguish, to be able to distinguish between good and evil, to separate out, or not to separate out, but to like determine one thing or to identify. Crino means to decide, to make a determination, to actually make a, a decision about something. And then katakrino means to condemn, to carry out that decision or determination. And so I have these little symbols. I don't know how helpful they are. The analogy is almost like the process of, of law where you investigate something that happened. You have some sort of trial where you discuss and determine and weigh what actually happened, the facts, the sort of things. And then there's some sort of verdict or decision that you come to. And then there's some sort of result. And so I just want to go back through and talk about, with these little symbols, the actual words being used in verse 3. It says, I care very little if I am investigated by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even investigate myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not mean that I'm innocent. He's not claiming perfection. It is the Lord who continues to investigate me. And then it says, crino. Therefore, do not decide anything before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. And in my sense, that's both referring to when the Lord ultimately comes and brings decision, but also comes into the midst of the situation and brings light on what's happening. God both does that in the present and will ultimately do that in the future. So I think it's helpful to determine this. And so where does this lead us to? What is Paul saying? I think part of the reason, part of the reality that we run into when we're trying to make our best judgments, but sometimes fail and become judgmental, we end up flipping this process. I think most of the invitations that you find in Corinthians are an invitation to investigate and distinguish. And I notice as I read Corinthians, God is involved in all of this, but most of when these words show up, it's something that God is doing and we are discerning. This whole process is something that God invites us to partner into. He even says, Paul even says, in the end of time, we will participate with God in judging the world. Which you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't go to law school. Like, what, why are you putting that responsibility on me? But here is the tension with making decisions and judgment. It's something that God participates, or something that God invites us to do with him. And it has tremendous power and the ability, as our world has told us, to sometimes backfire. So what's the guidance here? What is, what is Paul urging us to do? And I want to look back to chapter 2, because I think what he says to the Corinthians in chapter 2 makes all the difference about how we proceed with judgment in our own lives or make decisions. He says this, and I'm going to read a little bit, and then we're going to pick up in 15. He said, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit searches all things, even deep things of God. For who knows the person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except for the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is uh, uh, from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. 
This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spiritually taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept things of the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. We talked about that last week. And cannot understand them because they're discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments. And if you look at this, that's the first one, the anachronon, uh, the investigations about all things. But such person is not subject to mere human judgments, for we know the mind of Christ so as to instruct him. That's a quote from Isaiah. And then he concludes with this, but we have the mind of Christ. So what is Paul encouraging us here? How do we navigate this? I think to be human is to make judgments. To be human is to judge, to make decisions, to go through that process in life. The invitation from Jesus, the invitation for us is to have a spirit-led process of making those decisions. When we look at how Jesus responds to this, we talked about the gospel being foolishness. He has even stronger words for this. He says, do not do that crino. Do not judge or you should be judged or shall be judged. Condemn not that last one or you, uh, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. And of course, in Matthew, he, this is also quoted in Matthew, he goes on to give the analogy of, and before you take the speck out of your neighbor's eye, how about the log in your own eye? And I've come to understand that is both the logs that are in our, our own eye and the logs that people have shoved in our eyes over our life. The process of discernment and decision-making, the process starts with curiosity. It starts with investigation. And it's a spirit-led process in which we inhabit the very mind of Christ. So you're like, okay, JD, what does this actually look like in our lives? I wanted to bring a tool to you that helps, I think, it's not a Christian tool. It's not something that's totally mapped over the gospel, but I think it helps me in my everyday life understand the paths that we can take. What Paul is referring to when he's saying we have the mind of Christ, I think Paul is saying our mindset matters as we navigate these decisions in life. Our mindset matters as we're evaluating and processing the things that come to our mind. This is something from a book called Change Your Questions, Change Your Life. This is developed by a psychologist, both for life and work relationships. And I love how she lays this out. She agrees that our mindset, what we carry into situations and how we respond to them, our mindset can make all the difference. We have this moment where we encounter some sort of anxiety or something important happens in our lives. We perceive something in the world. And she kind of breaks it down and says we, we, we eventually can approach that situation with two different sorts of mindsets. We can slip into a gender mindset where we immediately ask questions like, whose fault is it? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with them? Why am I such a failure, ultimately, is where this leads to. Why are they so stupid? Why even bother doing this? I don't know if you can examine your own uh, mind, but it's very simple to slip into this judger mindset. 
because our world is broken and sinful, there are a lot of dangers that we encounter in the world. And over time, our minds as human beings have developed defense mechanisms to separate ourselves from danger. And so the judger track isn't inherently evil. It's a defense mechanism. It's a part of our bodies responding to things in the world to protect us. But death and brokenness in the world isn't the end of the story. So the invitation is to take a posture of learning where it's not like we're being stupid or passive, but we can have a different mindset of the situation and step back and say, despite the fear, anxiety, and pain that this might be bringing up in me, what's actually happening? What do I want in this situation, both for myself and the other person? What can I learn? What, what assumptions am I making? Uh, sorry for the little ears in the room. I'll try to say it this way. I was hanging out with an older couple that was super wise, and they were talking about marriage. And one of them threw out this phrase, assumptions make an A out of you and me. And so what does it take for us to stop, put on the mindset to calm down and ask these questions? What are the assumptions I'm making? What are the facts actually in this situation? This is from obviously the secular world, but if we overlay this with what we've been talking about, what, would it, what is it like to first have that first uh, anacrino perspective before we jump to the katacrino? I think much of the pain that gets caused in the world and much of this sort of prophetic response that the world has to Christianity about ju being judgmental is that we lead with condemnation instead of curiosity. In our experience with others, out of fear, out of pain that we might experience, out of pride, whatever, whatever the drivers are, our knee-jerk response often is condemnation before curiosity. And so what is the resurrection good news that Paul ultimately points to? That's why we started with chapter 15. What does it take for us to inhabit the mindset of Christ? As I've thought about this in my own life, there's been some important revelations. The first is, uh, this is from the author of The Thing. With a judger mindset, the future can only be a recycled version of the past. Though it might be helpful and protective in the moment, that sort of mindset and continually living in that mindset doesn't actually move us towards healing often. This is something uh, I've taken a long journey of therapy uh, proactively in my life, in part because I've noticed this tendency in my own life. And with other people, but mostly with myself. Mostly I've noticed that the world that I grew up in, the Christian parts, the non-Christian parts, have led me to the conclusion that I either need to be perfect or condemned. And I'm trying to work on that. And one of the areas of revelation for me that my therapist helped me read is you cannot transform those parts of yourself that you have already critically judged, condemned. You can only transform those parts of yourself that you're willing to be curious about. One of the things that's most compelling to me about Jesus is, yes, John 3.16, but also, yes, John 3.17, where he says, where it says of Jesus, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world 
through him. There will be a time in the end of all things where there will be katakrinon. And that will be a horrible day where justice and all its good and hard things will happen. But if you look at the life of Jesus, the mission that he's on right now is a mission of healing. And so that should at least give us pause in situations where we're faced with tough choices and situations to try to have the mind of Christ and ask the questions, what does healing look like now? What does curiosity look like right now? Where is the Holy Spirit leading us? The conviction of resurrection is the conviction that we have the Spirit in us. He resides in us, and he's making all things new. To have good judgment is to not fall into the, and not fall into the trap of judgmentalism is to partner with Jesus in the transformation of our lives and our community and the world. And that takes curiosity before condemnation. It takes radical humility. It takes bravery and courage. And it takes a radical dependence on the Holy Spirit. I know that was long, but I'm sorry. It felt important to communicate those things. And now I want to give you a chance to just take a deep breath, take a pause, and maybe ask around your tables, what's standing out to you? What questions do you still have? I'm sure you got plenty. Uh, What do you think God's saying to you? What do you think God's saying to us? So what's standing out to you? What questions do you have? We've got a few minutes to talk around this. Find two to three people around you. Try to not share more than two minutes. If you don't want to share, that's totally fine. Offering a listening ear to the people around you is a wonderful way to participate this morning, too.